There's no playbook for the situation um, we're in right now. It's something that people are making up as they go along. Harvard professor Jason Furman was President Obama's chief economist. He helped craft a response to the 2008 financial crisis. Now, in discussion with Judd Olenoff, he explains how to save the economy during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, my name is Jason Furman. I'm a professor of the practice of economic policy, and I'm jointly at the Harvard Kennedy School and also in um, the economics department at Harvard University. I've spent a lot of time in government, including all eight years in the Obama administration, where my focus for the first several years was responding to um, the financial crisis. At first, I was deputy director of the National Economic Council, and for the last three and a half years, I was chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. This is The Dive. We bring Harvard experts to you for conversations on the most pressing issues in the news. Episode one, Coronavirus, Saving the Economy. Before we get into um, the economy, just on a personal level, how have you been coping? Have you been able to work from home for a while? How has it been for you? Uh, you know, it, it's, you know my, my problems are much smaller than, than many other people are facing right now, um, but it's certainly been very disruptive for my children, um, for my family. I'm working at home, but I'm also balancing that with the three children I have that are, that are no longer in school. And that's just a small version of what, you know, so many different people are dealing with right now. And moving to the, the economic picture, um, broadly, what is the range of things government can do in this crisis? And in your view, what's the most important thing it should do? There's no playbook for the situation um, we're in right now. It's something that people are making up as they go along. As I see it, there are three big priorities on the economic side. Number one, do anything that will help the economy and help the response on the health side. More money for testing, more money for hospitals, but also helping people take paid leave and helping states and localities have the resources they need. All of those are good for the economy and reduce the spread of the virus. The second set of priorities is about cushioning the blow for families. We're seeing record numbers of people apply for initial unemployment insurance. We're seeing many more with dramatic reductions in their incomes and economic policy can do something to help to hide those families through these tough times, whether they're weeks, months, or longer. The third thing that economic policy should aspire to do is keep as many businesses intact as possible. The reason that's important is a business can go bankrupt easily. A business can't go unbankrupt easily. 
businesses are actually a web of social relationships between the people that work there, between the business and their suppliers, their customers, their bankers, and others. And when those go away, even after the virus passes, it'll be really hard to restart the economy if you have to create brand new businesses rather than restart the ones that are there. So those are the three priorities. Number one, anything that helps health and the economy. Number two, anything that provides relief for family. Number three, continuity for businesses. And picking up on your last point, um, is there a model in history for, in effect, a whole economy shutting down for a period of months and then starting up again? I'm not aware of one. And by the way, let's say right now the United States was completely immune to this virus and it was only happening in Europe we would all be worried that this would cause a recession in the United States and the global economy just based on trade links and supply chains with Europe. So even just the international part of this is enormous economically. And then when you add in shutdown of large fractions of you know, every economy in the world, it's the most rapid change in the economy that I think anyone's ever seen. So you helped craft the response to the 2008 crisis. What lessons um, from that time do you think are applicable to this crisis? I take four important lessons, accelerated, big, comprehensive, and dynamic. And let me unpack each of those. Accelerated things are happening really fast. We don't need to help the economy two years from now. We don't need to help the economy three years from now. We need to help it right away. And there's different policies that have different speeds. We need to do the fastest ones we can. Big, we face a lot of uncertainty always in the economy. We just don't know how bad things are. We don't know how bad things will get. And so you need to do the type of analysis that you learn in decision-making classes and statistics classes, which is what is the cost of going too big? What is the cost of going too small? And in this case, I think the cost of going too big is much smaller than the cost of going too small. I think I'd be thrilled if we look back and regret that we did too much. The third is comprehensive. There's not one simple answer. Is not like a mail everyone a check, which I think is a good idea, but that's only one part of what needs to be done. You need to help. You, know, you need to use a lot of different programs, a lot of different tools. And then finally, um, dynamic, which is that we don't know how long this will last. We don't know how deep it will get. It is important to adjust. If this state is hit harder, it gets more help. If the economy has a higher unemployment rate, the economy gets more help. If Congress were sitting there and able to fine tune, they could pass a new law every week to respond to the latest developments. That's not the way Congress works. So partly they need to pass laws now that automatically scale up and last for longer if that's needed. So you said we, we don't know what will happen. Really, no one knows what will happen. Um, but do you have a sense of how much unemployment we could see and for how long? Certainly next week, we're going to find out that we've seen the largest increase in people losing their jobs and claiming unemployment insurance 
in history. The unemployment rate could jump up in ways it never has before. Does it end up at 9%? That might be a good scenario. 12%, that would be the worst we've seen um, since the Great Depression. Secretary Mnuchin has talked about 20%. I think we can avoid that with the right economic policies, and we, I think we are seeing some of those policies going into effect now. Americans need cash now, and the president wants to get cash now. And I mean now, in the next two weeks. Facing one of the biggest economic crises in American history, President Trump is urging Congress to inject up to a trillion dollars into the economy. We're going big. One big piece of the plan, which is still being negotiated, direct cash payments to most Americans. Just this hour, the Senate has again failed to advance the largest stimulus bill in American history, and that puts senators back at the negotiating table. You mentioned the possibility of cash payments from the federal government to Americans. This is an idea you suggested in the Wall Street Journal earlier this month, and now it's part of the stimulus proposal in the Senate. Could you explain how cash payments would work? Yeah, the idea is relatively simple, that everyone or everyone below a certain income limit would get a check. The legislation in Congress would be $1,200 per adult, $500 per child. In order to get that money out as quickly as possible, the IRS would give information to the Treasury. The Treasury would, um, to the greatest degree possible, make electronic deposits. A lot of that could happen probably in a bit over a month. Okay. And you mentioned that the current proposal would pay $1,200 to families, and I think it would apply to families who make up to $100,000. Do you think that those amounts are the right amounts and the right structure? I think that's the right amount for this proposal. But I think this needs to be part of a comprehensive approach, which also includes expanding what people get through unemployment insurance, expanding what they get through nutritional assistance, providing aid to states so that states aren't cutting back on the types of programs they have that serve people and communities in need. So um, this is a multifaceted approach. And the cash payments, the role it plays in this multifaceted approach is to make sure we're not missing anyone. Um, but it's not going to be enough for some of the people that are most impacted. And if Americans get a cash payment in a month or two months, and this crisis is expected to last many months, do you think the payments should be potentially recurring? I think they should recur if they're needed. Ideally, the legislation up front would specify if the unemployment rate is above blank, then the payments would uh, automatically be um, continued. And, um, you know, again, the payments by themselves are enough. So I would do the same for all of it. Um, unemployment insurance, everything needs to last as long as the economic slowdown and recession last. You mentioned unemployment insurance. So when it comes to the possibility of cash payments, why give the payment to all Americans up to 
a certain income level rather than, for example, just paying people who have been laid off? The problem is that the unemployment insurance system in the United States has the lowest coverage rate it's had in about 50 years, which is to say most people that are unemployed aren't actually eligible for unemployment insurance for a variety of different reasons. If you're a gig worker, if you're self-employed, if you've been in multiple different jobs and juggling them for all sorts of reasons, you may not be eligible. And I would like to cast as broad a net as possible. I'm very worried about 10 million people that really need money being left behind. And I'd rather err on the side of people who don't need money getting it than leave out some people that desperately do need it. Got it. And how would economists want people to spend this money? That's up to them. You know, for some of them, they may spend this money by not working. That would be great. In normal times, I'd say that's a bad thing. Um, in this case, if somebody chooses not to work, that would be an example of these payments helping the economy and helping people's health. Some people will use them to pay basic bills. I think for others, they'll be in financially better shape after all of this passes, and they'll be able to spend you know, more money to get us out of the recession um, more quickly. So I think there's a lot of different ways. I think, frankly, we don't have any evidence on what people will actually do. But um, you know, I, think, I, I can think of an awful lot of good things people can do. So the current stimulus proposal is in the Senate. In terms of next steps, do you think it'll pass the House? You mentioned um, Americans might get a payment in around a month. Um, are, you, are you confident this will be part of the eventual stimulus and soon? Uh, it's, you know, the Congress in my many years of watching it is a very unpredictable creature, so I'm not confident of anything. Um, what the Congress is trying to do is get a joint piece of legislation that both the House and the Senate agree to, so it can pass both the House and the Senate and be signed with no conference, no ping-ponging back and forth, no additional negotiations. Um, I think they're going to figure out how to do that, and I think it will include cash payments. While people are staying home, are there things they can be doing to help support the economy? I certainly bought gift certificates at a number of places in my community. I prepaid a lot of months' worth of dry cleaning bills. And, you know, are those the most needy people in the United States of America? Uh, probably not. Are they my neighbors, my community, the people that provide products and services that I rely on and I want to make sure I'm giving back to them and helping them out now? Um, absolutely. So basically, if you can afford it, it can be very useful to help support local small business and do some discretionary spending targeted in that way. Yeah, I think to do discretionary spending right now, especially at your local businesses, you know, or to buy gift certificates, which is in effect like making an interest-free loan um, to that business. And you know, you weren't going to get a lot of the interest on that money in the bank. And maybe if you took it out of the stock market, you'll save yourself some money. The Federal Reserve is taking sweeping action to try to protect the economy from the coronavirus.
Switching gears just for a moment, there's been a lot of talk recently about the Fed. For people who are not at all familiar with the Federal Reserve, could you explain what the Fed does and its role in a time like this? Sure. The Fed does two things that are both important right now. One is it conducts monetary policy. Normally, that means raising and lowering interest rates. And in the current moment, they've lowered interest rates, which makes it easier for people to borrow for a mortgage, a business to borrow. They've lowered interest rates all the way to zero. That's not enough, and they know that's not enough. So they've taken some additional unusual actions to get involved in financial markets to try to bring a wider range of interest rates down as much as possible and make sure that those markets are still functioning, including the market that the federal government uses to borrow money. So that's the first set of things is monetary policy. And it's all about keeping the flow of credit going. And that flow of credit is just critical at a time like now. Second, the Federal Reserve regulates the banks. And in normal times, that regulation takes the form of telling banks, here's all the things you can't do because it's not safe if you do these things. Right now, they're going to have to do something unusual, which is tell banks, you know what? You're taking a set of risks right now. We need you to take those risks. We need you to take loans. We realize they may not be repaid. Don't worry. We're not going to stop you now. And we'll figure something out later if that happens. Um, I'm not saying that's word for word of the conversation, but you need, in effect, um, less regulation of the banks now. Because if you were you know, being strict with the banks, then they probably wouldn't lend money to anyone at this moment. Thank you for that. Uh, and finally, in a moment like this, people look to someone like you for signals of how they should feel. What would you tell people? What gives you hope for our economic future? I have hope from how dramatic the response has been on the health side. I wouldn't have pictured in a democratic country like the United States that you could essentially, through decisions of businesses, mayors, states, and to some degree the federal government, just shut down all sorts of things theaters, sports, and now almost everyone going into work, and of course for all of you. That's painful, that's difficult for all of us. It gives me hope that we will be able to get this virus under control. That's the most important thing for the economy. The second thing that gives me hope is that the economic response so far has been faster and larger than the economic response was to the financial crisis in 2008. And I think that gives us a better chance, not in the next month or two, when the government is deliberately shutting the economy down, but in the period after whenever the suppression measures end for us to get back uh, some of what we lost in this period. Professor Jason Furman, thank you so much and stay safe. We sincerely appreciate it. Uh, stay safe here well, thanks for, as well, and thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on The Dive. This episode was produced by Zoya Saroy, Paloma Strelitz and Jad Olanoff. If you found this discussion interesting and informative, please share on social media. 
We're busy working to produce more stories on global issues that matter to you. We're always happy to receive any suggestions. Just write to ideas at thedive.media. Thank you.